everybody. Welcome to the What Is Money Show. I am thrilled to have you here joining me on my mission to help shine light on the corruption of money. Now, a little bit about this show and how it makes money. We are 100% sponsor-based, which means that all the revenues we derive come from sponsorships. But I try to be very selective about the sponsors that I work with, specifically trying to choose those who have values well aligned to the values expressed on this show, like freedom, education, self-sovereignty, etc. So what I'm going to do is a few ad reads right here at the top of the show and then a few ad, ad reads in the middle. And I hope you won't skip them. I hope you'll take the time, listen and see what they have to offer, because again, these are hand selected sponsors. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Swan Private. Swan Private is a concierge financial services firm based in Los Angeles. Now, I've known the Swan team for years, and these guys are laser focused on the Bitcoin mission. They even have a zero tolerance policy for all shitcoining. Recently, their CEO, Corey Clipston, was instrumental in calling out many of these crypto scams right before they collapsed, saving a lot of people a lot of money in the process. Swan Private focuses on guiding high net worth individuals and businesses on all aspects of Bitcoin strategy, including buying, custodying, and market research. This concierge service provides you direct access to a private advisor by text, phone, or email. So go to swanprivate.com slash breedlove today to sign up. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Ledin. Ledin lets you do more with your digital assets. For instance, Ledin offers a B2X loan product that lets you leverage your existing Bitcoin to buy even more Bitcoin. Or you can also get traditional Bitcoin collateralized US dollar loans through Ledin as well. Ledin also offers both Bitcoin and USDC denominated savings accounts, letting you generate yield on your digital assets. Recently, Ledin has launched a Bitcoin mortgage product as well that lets you use Bitcoin to buy a home or finance one that you already own. So go to Ledin.io, that's L-E-D-N.io today to sign up. Peter Diamandis, welcome to the What Is Money Show. Hey, Robert. Good to see you again. Last we saw each other, we were uh, in Calamigos Ranch at the uh, awarding of the uh, uh Ayn Rand Award to Michael Saylor. Yes. Yeah, it was an honor to meet you. We've, I guess, I followed you for a long time on Twitter. I don't know how long you followed me, but um, big, been big fan of your work. So it's great. It was great to meet you and great to talk to you today as well. Um, just by way of quick introduction, you are the founder and chairman of the X Prize. Uh, you're also the founder of Singularity University, and you've authored several books. And as you were just telling me offline, you're currently on your, I think, 26th company that you said. So you're quite an active entrepreneur <laughs> and prolific thinker and writer. Is, yeah, it's my art form. I, I love I love creating and solving problems, as I'm sure many folks listening do. Yes, yes. Yeah, I, I think it is one of the most sacred did disciplines. Did I say I like creating com creating problems or solving conflict? <laughs> <laughs> Message received. You like to create solutions to problems. Yeah. Um, maybe we just talk about that real quick. Like what, what are some of the books you have written, I guess, and what are you working on writing today? This is something I found. It's very difficult to be consistent on writing. And um, 
I often find myself trying to pull a big cloud of things I want to say into something coherent. Mm. Um, so if you have any secrets or tips, please share as well. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, I, years back when the X prize, the first X prize for space flight was going on, there was a guy named Stephen Kotler wrote an article for, on, for GQ on me and the X prize. And, I was taken by his writing. It was like, wow, this guy really writes well. And so, because uh, I usually don't notice when a person, their writing style, but I noticed this guy's writing style and I really liked it. And so I called him up and I said, I want to get lessons from you. So I hired him hmm. to give me writing lessons, uh, which was fascinating. And I wanted to write a book on space, which was my early, you know, my first 25 years of my life, my first 10 companies were on the space arena. And um, couldn't sell a book, couldn't sell a book. And then I was at Singularity University, uh, which I uh, co-founded with Ray Kurzweil and was the uh, chairman of. And the idea of abundance and that term abundance came to mind. And it was a realization that, you know, there is nothing truly scarce. Things are just not in the usable form yet. They're there, mm -hmm. just not in the usable mm -hmm. form. Like, like we are... We're bathed by 8,000 times more energy from the sun that hits the surface of the earth than we consume. It's there. It just can't use it all the time. But technology is making it more and more usable, right? Same thing with water. You know, talk about water wars, mm -hmm. water scarcity. We live on a water planet, you know, two-thirds covered by water. Problem is 97.5 is salt, 2% is ice, and we fight over half a percent. So can we turn that water into a more usable form from mm -hmm. atmospheric capture or desalination? Anyway, this idea of abundance and uh, technology could take what was scarce and make it abundant. In fact, it does it over and over again, was an idea that like, boom, it, it captured my imagination. I called uh, Stephen Kotler and said, this is the book we need to write together. Mm. And um, it it was, uh, you know, number two in the New York Times list. I guess you, you say number one, New York Times bestseller, you don't you don't brag about being number two, but it was good. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I gave the opening Ted talk that year on the subject. And, um, and then I became enamored with the idea of writing and I started enjoying writing. And uh, my second book was a company called a book called bold, how to go big, create wealth and impact the world. And then a book called the future is faster than you think. And then just finished a book with Tony Robbins on uh, health and longevity called life force. So, you know, I mean, writing for me has to be passion driven. I have to really be in love with the subject and it's consistency. So when I'm writing a book, I will wake up and write for an hour every day. And mm -hmm. uh, what Stephen Kotler taught me was if you get a hat, one finished page a day, you're ahead of the curve. So it's like, write a page, and edit a page. So edit what you wrote yesterday and write a new page today. And just that consistency mm. is is what what works. That is excellent. Yeah, it's the writing is really easy to push to the back burner, especially if you're swamped with more time sensitive task. Yeah. Um, but that idea of adding consistency into your day, I think, really is the key. And I do it first thing in the morning when my mind is clearest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Are you an early riser? I am now. I mean, when I was in medical school and graduate school, you know, I would typically get cranking at midnight and go till two or three a.m. And today, you know, 
um, I really focus on getting eight hours of sleep, which means mm -hmm. I'm in bed by 9.30, get up at 5.30. Nice. That's great. Um, yeah, so that's an interesting take, actually, that nothing is scarce. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of transforming. Not yeah. yeah, it's not usable. So there is potentiality, but we have to work to convert it into some into actuality, something useful. And 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 if you think about it, it's true for almost everything, right? It's one of my favorite examples in the abundance mindset is a friend of mine's company called the Diamond Foundry that manufactures lab-grown diamonds, right? And so we think about, what do you think of as more scarce as a perfect diamond, a three, four, five, six, 10-carat diamond? Well, the Diamond Foundry, uh, Martin, who's a CEO there, has built capabilities that can effectively vapor deposition carbon and create a, a perfect diamond, 50 carat perfect diamond, hmm. right? So it's not scarce um, by any means. Hmm. So that's so, okay. Because in economics, it's scarcity is defined as anywhere demand exceeds supply. And to your point, it's, it's work and technology that allow us to increase supply basically whatever the thing is that we want whatever the, the thing is that we demand um and it seems like technology is the only amplifier of that right Te technology is amplifying work amplifying our labor effectively yeah. so do, you, do we get to a point of zero scarcity in your mind i mean that that would be yes. i guess the equivalent yeah. question is free energy right yeah so if you let me give you a couple of thoughts there um so uh the only thing that is going to transform scarcity into abundance is is technology and if you think about the cost of anything a house a lamborghini a steak um the actual cost of it is the material cost and the energy cost and the information cost mm -hmm. so in the future and there's a great book called uh, zero marginal society by jeremy rifkin that that talks about this there's the concept of nanotechnology and nanotechnology is and we're going to get there it's we're going to be able to use these tiny atomic machines that are able to rearrange atoms and so if i have an assembler with these robot assemblers in my hand and i create a copy of it and i give it to you and i tell my assembler you know uh, i want to make a electric lamborghini and i toss it in the dirt and I say, make me an electric Lamborghini, it organizes the atoms of what it needs. It might say, I need some titanium. Um, it might say, I need some other metals or materials. And ultimately, um, it uses maybe an open source uh, file of what electric Lamborghini is and the energy. So things come down to the cost of the information the cost of the raw materials that then need to be assembled and then the energy cost. And of course, there's intellectual property as well. I mean, you can just think about the fact that, you know, your iPhone today is crazy extraordinary. There are like 57 different elements required to manufacture the, uh, the iPhone. And it, and for what you get compared to, you know, what it would have cost you to have this kind of capacity 20 years ago um, is this march towards abundance. Hmm. Yeah. So is that what, that was my question is what a, does abundance mean to you specifically? Is it more 
free time. So we're accomplishing more of the drudgery, I guess, with technology. So we free ourselves up to do more high level value additive task. It's whatever you want at a lower and lower cost. Um, if you want more free time, that's what it can give you. If you think about the fact that, you know, 20 years ago, if you needed to know something, you would hop in your car and you would drive to the library and you would hope they had a book on the subject hmm. and they may or may not. And they would tell you, go to this other library branch. And at the end of the day, you would have spent hours. Today, you just, you know, Google it and you have it instantly in microseconds. So it's saved time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's, you know, abundance is access to all the food, energy, water, healthcare, education, information that you need. And we're heading towards a massive digitization, dematerialization, demonetization, and democratization. Mm-hmm. So we're di- as we digitize everything, we're dematerializing it. So you don't carry a uh, a camera, a video camera, books, records, flashlights. It's all dematerialized into your phone. Mm-hmm. And when you dematerialize it, when it becomes ones and zeros, the cost of replication and transmission is near zero. So it's demonetized and it's available to everyone. So it's democratized. And we're going to, and I, when I'm, you know, coaching CEOs and entrepreneurs and whomever, I'm saying your job is to to digitize, dematerialize, demonetize, and democratize your products and services. Because if you don't do it, someone else is going to do it to you. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. that That's a good encapsulation of just the potential abundance that digital technology affords us. Um, okay. You have been on the topic of writing, actually. You have a wonderful blog on your website. Thank you. Uh, you've been writing recently about meta trends. Yeah. I think you've enumerated six of them so far. Yeah. I've created a list of 20 meta trends that are going to redefine the decade ahead. And, um, and I, you know, this is as close as you get to predicting the future. These things are going to happen mm-hmm. and they're going to transform every industry. How, when they exactly happen and how they impact your company or industry will, will vary. But they're things that are definitively uh, moving and moving rapidly. So these are technologies that are not at the speculative stage of ideation. They're sort of uh, becoming commercialized, I guess, are on the cusp of becoming commercialized. And they're not individual technologies, Robert. They're mm-hmm. they're converging exponential technologies. And mm-hmm. all of these are the result of AI and robotics and drones or, you know, 3D printing and synthetic biology. You know, it's, it's two, three, four of these technologies coming together. And they're still somewhat uh, out in the future, but it's not a matter of if, it's only a matter of when. Mm. You can see these things coming. You know, you can talk about autonomous cars and flying cars as an example of that right? Uh, it's not a matter of if, it's only a matter of when does it get good enough? And mm-hmm. when does it become economically viable? And when does it the business model flip? Got it. Okay, let's so let's focus on that one that you brought up there flying cars. I've thought about this somewhat, like how, if we all had, presumably pretty fast flying cars, then kind of the model of the city gets called into question, right? We don't need as much 
uh, I guess, population density because the the vehicle has changed. So what are some of the second order consequences you think of, of flying cars? So let me give it the proper name, which is eVTOLs, which sucks from a marketing standpoint. They're electric vertical takeoff or landing. Okay. That's an acronym. <laughs> um, and there are a dozen to two dozen such companies. Uh, three of them have gone public in the last uh, 24 months at multi-billion dollar valuations. And so again, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. The technology is here. The AI to enable safe operations is getting better and stronger. Um, the battery energy densities to allow these electric vehicles to fly for longer times is becoming better and better. So we're on the price performance improvement curves that are making their business case more viable. And uh, we're you can think of these as not something we individually own, but these are taking off from different points to different points. So I live in Santa Monica. And if I want to go see a Dodger game with my kids, instead of battling the 10 freeway, I might go to a node that perhaps it's a Santa Monica airport. And seven minutes later, I'm landing at a node at Dodger Stadium. Mm. And so these are going to be point to point systems with uh, with uh, landing and takeoff zones in different parts of cities. And yeah, it's going to redefine where you live and where you work because you know most cities are defined because that's where the jobs are and because that's where entertainment or education or culture or shopping is. So what we're going to see is the combination of new transportation model- modalities, you know, mm. these EV tall flying cars and autonomous cars combined with you know what we're doing right now, Zoom is going to allow you to live almost any place um, and enjoy the benefits of, you know, you could live in Topanga, which uh, geographically is, you know, 45 minutes away. And I wouldn't want to live there if it's raining or there's fires, whatever the case may be, but in a, in a flying car, it's, it's a five minute trip. Mm-hmm. But if the, if the one freeway, you know, if the, if the mm-hmm. uh, Pacific coast highway is blocked, you're screwed. Mm-hmm. It can be a three hour trip. So it's going to open up different geographies, smaller islands, but then you know we're going to we're redefining where we live and where we work by Zoom alone. I employ people in Eastern Europe, in Asia, who have never ever met, but they're incredible uh, members of my team mm. and add uh, extraordinary value. That's very interesting. So what? How fast would those cars be? The flying cars? Yeah. Typically, de- depends. There are two modalities. One is where, think of it as a large drone, a multi-copter mm-hmm. drone. Uh, those uh, will typically fly on the order of 100 miles per hour. The ones that have wings, where they take off vertically using the propellers, mm-hmm. these electric, direct electric propulsion uh, props, and then when they get to altitude, they transition to forward flight using wings. And those can be 180, 200 miles an hour. Hmm. Wow. And the Hyperloop that Elon was talking about, I know building some of these uh, tunnels underneath cities mm-hmm. as a means of rapid transportation. Do you think these things exist uh, complementary to one another? Or do you think one or the other sort of becomes dominant? So here's the reality for 
for a new system to come into place and really become a viable business, it's got to be 10 times better than what existed before. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, if it's not 10 times better, the switching cost and the capital investment costs aren't going to happen. So uh, electric autonomous cars, I think, meet that need. And we're going to see those. These eVTOLs, which have many markets, and besides humans, it's local package delivery mm -hmm. type of stuff. One of my friends, Martin Rothblatt, who is incredible uh, entrepreneur, has built a company that produces uh, replacement human lungs. Mm -hmm. And um, and she wants to use uh, the eVTOLs from a company called Beta, based in New Hampshire, uh, to deliver the lungs from her manufacturing site to the tops of hospitals where are needed. So where you need, you know, to transport, we're going to see, uh, you know, uh, air ambulances and, and, uh, and, um, you know, military and, and police and so forth using these kinds of vehicles as well. Um, and I forgot the original question you were asking. <laughs> I was just asking if you thought, um, Hyperloop would live oh, yeah, Hyperloop. in symbiosis yeah, so, with flying cars or not? Yeah. So I think in theory, once it becomes capable and demonstrated, yes. I mean, Hyperloop is great for uh, medium distance, like LA to San Francisco, mm -hmm. New York to Boston, you know, something that's a four or five hour uh, drive um, and becomes a 30 minute Hyperloop city center to city center. Mm -hmm. um, in an airplane, you're uh, like an eVTOL doesn't really do those ranges. Uh, it's more shorter haul, mm -hmm. um, more like the Santa Monica to Dodger Stadium or Topanga or that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, the you could fly from LA to San Francisco, but, you know, by the time you get to LAX, an hour before and then an hour transport, you know, you've spent three and a half hours. Well, if Hyperloop can do you in 30 minutes, city mm -hmm. center, city, city center, that's a sufficiently differentiation that would make it viable. Got it. So we'd get more Hyperloop city to city, to city but then more yeah. flying vehicles within the city. And so it's going to be, eventually we get this. And I, I think, you know, autonomous cars are going to hit us first. Or not hit us first. They're going to be arriving first. And then uh, these flying cars, the eVTOLs next. Hyperloop is still a ways off. Uh, the one venture that was attempted uh, didn't get fully capitalized. Elon may make it happen, but you're going to see tier. You're going to, you know, you're going to have, if you've got a meeting uh, someplace, uh, you're having breakfast, you get up from the breakfast table, your AI knows your calendar. It sees you getting up. It sees you walking towards the front door and it has ordered an autonomous car and it's waiting for you. Right. Mm. Um, and so life becomes automagical. You get into the autonomous car, it drives you to the local um, eVTOL node, and you hop in there. It's waiting for you, and it knows where you want to go, and it flies you there. So there'll be a sort of uh, a graceful transition between modalities here. Mm. That's super fascinating. Okay. One other meta trend I'd like to touch on, this might be touching on a few of them, actually. Uh, one of your blog posts was titled uh, Jarvis, a software interface to improve our lives. And I just watched, uh, I don't know if you ever watched the show Black Mirror, 
but I watched yes. the episode White Christmas recently, which is my favorite episode. And it details uh, basically a customer going into a prost, uh, procedure, a medical procedure to have their consciousness extracted. Yes. And then that consciousness becomes their personal servant, their personal Jarvis, if you will. And the Jarvis is in reference to the AI on the Avengers movie, I take it. Yes, Iron Iron Man's AI. Right? It's yes. in his suit, it's in his home. And it's uh, it's the sort of the British butler who can image anything and answer any questions and help manufacture stuff. And I yes. want one desperately, I guess. Yeah, so, so that, that, well, that, I mean, that seems like it'll unlock tremendous amounts of productivity. Um, but uh, same question about the flying cars for the the Jarvis. What are, what are the second order effects of a breakthrough like that? in your mind so um first of all you know black mirror and a lot of movies like that most science fiction movies get very dystopian very fast mm -hmm. um and the fact of the matter is i think uh these these uh, uh supportive ais in our life uh, you know, we have Siri now, we have Alexa now, we have Google HomePods and so forth. And they are uh, pretty extraordinary compared to what we had in the past, right? You can talk to them and get answers and they can provide reminders and so forth. But imagine where it's going to evolve to. I think of everyone having their a personal software AI shell, like, you know, it's, a, it's software that is, is with you all the time, right? It's maybe it's... Uh, Maybe it's part of your phone. Maybe it's on your belt buckle. Maybe, but it's listening. You give it permission to listen to all your conversations. You give it permission to read your emails. You give it permission permission to watch what you're eating, and it becomes massively enabling. What do I mean by that? It you know, as it's listening to your conversations, and you say, "Hey, Robert, let's get together for lunch next week." It has scheduled lunch and picked a restaurant based upon your preferences and mine, and it's automagical in that regard. Um, you know, if you want to lose weight, it is watching what you eat and making recommendations. And you can say, okay, you could be bitch and Betty. And it's like, stop eating chocolate, you know, and just like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, it becomes your supporter. It's medically listening or watching all of your physiological, uh, sensors, right? What's the stuff you're wearing? Like my aura ring, my Apple watch, uh, you know, embedded sensors. And it's saying, oh, listen, we're detecting something that is not normal you need to go to see your doctor it becomes your at-home physician so uh, you know we are without question going to get there it will become imagine your very best executive assistant ever who's living with you and watching you and supporting before you even know you want it mm -hmm. right you walk into a room and it's preset the temperature for you it's got music going that you like yeah, you, it knows you had a bad day, you know, at the office. And when you come home playing on TV is your favorite comedian. Uh, and, you know, so, I mean, it's, it's that kind of what I call automagical life that's going to be viable. None of the stuff is on its own uh, unimaginable, but it's, mm. uh, and in fact, it's all here, just not all integrated yet. Mm. All right, well, that reminds me of that old, Quote, may have been raised quote actually the future is here yeah, it's not it's even William Gibson William yeah. Gibson yeah um and it's a good point too that these technologies often are not singular breakthroughs but they're more like amalgamations of of other technologies um that really drive the breakthrough uh 
Okay, again, Metatrends on the blog. Check that out. There's a lot more there we could talk about. Um, but I want to ask you, do a slight pivot here and ask you about something else. So you you had this, I guess you posted a Twitter thread about this recently, how shifting the education system to fit the gaming system could help promote abundance. And as I shared with you offline earlier, it um, seems like, the world is kind of becoming a video game in many ways, but many more yes. of our, our interactions and our day-to-day -day activities are mediated by screens and technology. Um, we are, we're kind of natural cyborgs in that way. We're constantly um, immersed in technology. What did you mean specifically? I guess, could you just unpack that thread for us? What is yeah, it sure. about gaming and education that you think can unlock abundance? So, I have two 11-year-old boys, fraternal twins, right? And they are on their computers, on Roblox all the time, and they love it, and they're growing up in that regard. And when I think about the education system today, I don't think education system is preparing them for the future they're going to be living in, uh, a future where we've got ubiquitous AI, and you know you can imagine something and describe it, and uh, stable diffusion can create the beautiful images or actually create a movie for you based upon what you speak. It's the world's gonna get pretty weird pretty quick. And I don't think we're we're getting our kids ready for the technology coming. Um, and the education system today is still traditional uh, in all the ways, right? We have a summer break, why? Because a hundred years ago, we needed the kids to help us with the harvest. <laughs> Uh, in July and August. Um, you know, uh, when you start a in seventh grade algebra, when you begin with a perfect score and every time you get something wrong, your score goes down, mm -hmm. right? Um, in the gaming world, you start with zero and every time you get something right, your score goes up. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just the, the, it's a very different set of, uh, of incentives. I mean, Today we've got, you know, the sage on the stage, the 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 teacher, you know, uh, always underpaid and always working hard, and you know, one of the most important parts of society today. But in that situation, the um, half the classroom is bored and half the classroom is lost. You can't teach yeah. all the students um, equally all the time, mm. and we're going to be heading into a world where. Uh, AI is the teacher, right? So this year, I run a, a summit every year called Abundance 360. It's uh, I have 360 entrepreneurs and CEOs who I coach. Um, and we talk about abundance mindset, uh, exponential mindset, longevity mindset, moonshot mindsets. And um, this year, one of my speakers is Sal Khan, the creator of the Khan Academy. And we're talking about the future of education and the future of education is definitively AI driven, right? It is um, uh, going to be where you as a student walk into a virtual world in the metaverse driven by an AI and whatever you want to know is accessible to you, but it's experiential. Like if I want to learn about Plato, instead of reading a, a book that I can barely get through, I'm going to walk into ancient Greece look around, I'll see a guy on a, uh, you know, on a marble block over there in a white toga. And he comes over and says, Hey, I'm Plato. Let me tell you what I'm up to come to my university, whatever the case may be. And you walk around and you have a, conver a conversation, you meet his friends and you 
you know, Pythagoras is there drawing on the ground mm. and it, you remember it in a way like never before, right? Mm -hmm. This is what uh, I'm speaking of. Mm. That is super fascinating. And I think would obviously drive a lot more engagement between kids and the education system, uh, which is somewhat sorely lacking today. And I guess it's a bit of a shift from stick to carrot as an incentive model rather than penalizing wrong answers you're rewarding good answers and yeah it's stick to carrot and it's <clears throat> it's also helping students learn in an immersive way that's more fun mm -hmm. right? and and students learn differently some students are visual some are auditory some are experiential but you know you can think about it yourself uh if the numbers are pretty staggering when you read something uh, compared to when you experience something, the mm -hmm. retention for experiencing is, you know, 5x greater. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, you know, these these Metatrend blogs that I put out, and I think we're at blog seven right now out of 20, uh, folks can, can access them. I spend a lot of time thinking about them and really uh, uh, trying to make them both understandable and, and understand the implications of them. Because I think they're exciting. They're not fiction. They're happening. And but uh, if someone goes to diamandis.com backslash blog, mm -hmm. um, they you can get my I put out two blogs a week, uh, currently in the meta trends, typically also about exponential tech or longevity. And it's you know what I'm I'm passionate about. I want to get people excited about the future, not fearful of it. Hmm. Yeah. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, CrowdHealth. CrowdHealth is a Bitcoin-enabled alternative to legacy health insurance. Now let's face it, legacy health insurance is an absolute scam. Nobody can explain this better than the legendary comedian Chris Rock. Insurance. You got to have some insurance. You got to. There's an insurance. They shouldn't even call it insurance. They should just call it in case shit. <laughs> and I give a company some money in case shit happens. Now, if shit don't happen, shouldn't I get my money back? <laughs> so with CrowdHealth, instead of just paying premiums that you'll never see again, you can hold part of this pool of savings in dollars and in Bitcoin through CrowdHealth. And when you have a health event, you can draw against this pool of communal savings. So go to joincrowdhealth.com slash breedlove to learn more or sign up. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Wasabi Wallet. Wasabi lets you use Bitcoin privately while still maintaining full control over your money. Specifically, Wasabi Wallet is an open source, non-custodial wallet with privacy built in by default. By using Wasabi, you're effectively putting the private back in private property. Wasabi Wallet is an easy to use privacy wallet that can support any amount of Bitcoin transactions. So go to wasabiwallet.io today to download this state-of-the-art wallet software. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Masterworks. Masterworks gives you access to the fine art market at more affordable price points. They do this by offering you fractional shares in their $500 million portfolio of fine art. Now fine art is an alternative asset class and historically it's been a great performer and a really good hedge against inflation most investors typically hold anywhere from two to ten percent of their assets in an asset like fine art 
To sign up or learn more, go to masterworks.com and use promo code BREEDLOVE. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Casa. Casa makes it simple to buy and secure your Bitcoin without wondering whether you're doing it right. Specifically, Casa provides a multi-key custody solution, which is by far the most secure way to custody your Bitcoin. Now, when I talk about Bitcoin being theft-proof money or inviolable private property, a multi-key custody model is exactly what I am talking about. Using multiple keys lets you maintain full control of your Bitcoin while also giving you redundancy in case you lose one of the keys. It's also the best way to secure your Bitcoin for inheritance planning purposes. So go to keys.casa, that's C-A-S-A, today to sign up and use discount code BREEDLOVE. The other component, which you alluded to earlier, you're moving from a one-size-fits-all educational environment where you said half the kids are lost, half the kids are bored, to an individualized experience, right? You actually move at your own pace, through your own pathways, your own interests and whatnot. Um, Would you imagine that jobs would, I guess jobs would sort of shift into that domain as well, right? As, As much as they can. Yeah, I'll give you an, a great example of what I'm thinking there, which is I want you to imagine you just lost your job and you're trying to figure out what you want to do next and you don't feel like you're trained for anything. But imagine there is a place that you go when you play video games mm. and the video game is uh, effectively a job training game. And uh, as you play the game, you say, you know, I don't like this one. And you go to the next one and go to the next one. And you find one, you know, this is interesting. I like being a cook. This is a fun game to do. And and you get points the more you learn, the higher you get in the ranking. And then uh, the system says anybody in the top 100 automatically gets a job. Hmm. And so what does it mean that I got in the top 100? I've had to have learned everything to get there. And I've had to have stuck with it, which means I have to have enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And if I'm looking to hire people as a pastry chef and there's a pastry chef job there, then, you know, that's a great way. Um, But it, I think there's a lot of this that can happen. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, Okay. Can we talk about the X prize? Something that's made you quite, quite famous. I think Um, what maybe, just starting from the ground up, what is the X Prize? What's the Genesis story behind it? Where are you guys sure. at with it today? Sure. So, <clears throat> uh, the X Prize is a it's a nonprofit organization. We're headquartered in LA. We have an amazing team, uh, and we identify problems in the world that haven't been solved yet, mm. and we create a competition, and say. Uh, I don't care where you went to school, what you've ever done. If you solve this problem not on paper, but actually physically build the thing to solve the problem, you win the cash. So uh, the origin story is that back in 1993, hard to believe, uh, I read a book called The Spirit of St. Louis and learned that Charles Lindbergh in 1927 crossed the Atlantic, not on a whim, but to win a $25,000 prize. Mm Mm-hmm. And that prize inspired uh, nine teams to spend $400,000 trying to win his prize. 
And uh, this prize was for the first person to fly between New York and Paris. So um, Lindbergh wins it, becomes the most famous human on the planet. I go, okay, that's amazing. This guy didn't pay any of the losers, only paid the winner, got the teams cumulatively to spend 16 times the prize money huh. to go after his prize, and you pay only on success. I'm going, holy shit, what's not to like about this deal? <laughs> so my passion uh, had been, still is, opening up space. So I gave up on the government space program as the means I was going to get there. So I wanted to create commercial space for me and my friends. And I announced a $10 million prize for the first team who could build a private spaceship, carry three of us up into space, come back down, land, and do it again within two weeks. Hmm. And, um, and it was won in 2004 by a guy named Bert Rutan, funded by Paul Allen. Richard Branson came and bought the rights from that winning technology to create Virgin Galactic. Uh, and we really laid the framework for the regulations, the financial uh, you know, interests, the entrepreneurial interest for the commercial space flight industry. And we've launched $300 million of prizes since then. Wow. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, we've got another three or 400 million in development today. Wow. Amazing. What, how do you determine the problem sets that you try and have yeah. addressed? In the past, um, Robert, it was me having, you know, lunch with Sergey Brin at Google and saying, let's do a Lunar X prize or with, uh, uh, Paul Jacobs at Qualcomm and let's do a tricorder X prize. It was, it was sort of like, what does the philanthropist who's got the money find that is meaningful mm -hmm. and exciting? And what do I think would make a good prize? Mm. Right. The com that combination was, was critically important. Um, and that uh, has transitioned to, really pulling together the world's experts uh, in what we call our brain trust and debating and discussing which problems are not moving forward, which are stuck, right? Which need to be, where? what needs a big jolt and a big push? And then we create a series of X prizes or, or designs around those areas. And then uh, we're working on a platform to ask the world which they want solved first hmm. and then to bring in sponsors there. So it's really meant to be an engine for you know, identifying and uh, and focusing the world's cognitive surplus on the world's biggest problems. Wow, it's super interesting. I let, I, in that prize model, uh, which I guess you've you didn't actually originate it, but you've you've taken no, it. It's been around. I mean, prize models. The the first major prize that people have maybe heard about is the longitude prize. Uh, oh yes, to determine longitude, right? It was built by a, a clockmaker, right? And, and and then at the turn of the 1900s, there were dozens of aviation prizes, but they sort of died during World War II. Mm -hmm. World War II, uh, a lot of the previous incentive for technology progress was from prizes, but when World War II came along, it was like. The government was pumping money in. If I if they needed something, they wouldn't launch a prize and wait for it to happen. They would just fund the damn thing. Uh -huh. um, and so I revived it uh, for commercial spaceflight. It's fascinating to me how much of a force multiplier money is inside of that model, where you're describing that 
yeah. you're only only paying the winner and then all you know these other groups expend a we multiple 20, of that amount trying to do the innovation yeah the average is 20 and as high as 40 fold all the teams cumulatively spending to win that prize wow they're all optimists they all think they can do it and uh, you know the goal is to launch an industry in the back end of that where not just the winner but a number of them can go on and build businesses you know if we if we have an x prize that's won and it becomes a museum piece then we've failed <laughs> unless it's launching an industry and and changing the problem then uh, then it's not successful for us have you ever been inspired um for i guess a, a offering a prize to solve a problem by an actual applicant like maybe a, a problem space you didn't see and then someone said hey i can solve we have, this we have people throwing ideas at us all the time and you know you can go to xprize.org uh, and see what we're up to today. Um, and we have a, a summit every year called Visioneering. We bring together top scientists, engineers, philanthropists, and debate and discuss, and people pitch their ideas from the stage. And it's a it's a very positive mindset of any problem can be solved type of mindset. It's fascinating. I, I did an episode recently, it was titled uh, Bitcoin Mining on the Ocean. Mm -hmm. And a couple of guys were pitching me on this idea of, you know, we have this inexhaustible energy source, effectively inexhaustible energy source in the sky called the sun. Yep. And we have this inexhaustible energy buyer called Bitcoin. And so they're, I forget the name of the technology. I think they call it OTEC technology, but it seemed like a good fit for XPRIZE. So I was just curious about how that whole process shakes out. So... I mean, what we try and do is there's got to be a, a clearly defined endpoint, mm -hmm. right? Like build a spaceship, carry three adults, 100 kilometers, land, do it again within two weeks. And it has to be something in our minds that isn't going to happen uh, or isn't going to happen in the close enough term. So I'll give you an example. One prize we're getting ready to launch in, in the first half of 2023 is a fire detection and extinction prize right? Being in LA here, I'm sick and tired of all the fires occurring, causing billions of dollars of damage, killing hundreds of individuals, and not changing. We've been fighting fire, fire, wildfires the same way for 50 years, and they're getting worse. Mm. It's like ridiculous. So we are, we're launching a prize to re-engineer how we fight fires. And the prize here is detect a fire at ignition mm. when it begins and put it out within 10 minutes. <laughs> right it's like when do you want to find cancer well when it's a few cells not when it's a stage four yes wow and so the that detection would be over a vast geographical area we would yeah the rules right now are a thousand square acres yeah so um and again it's a, there's a business on the back end of that like mm -hmm. we were at we met at calamigos ranch a friend of mine garrett gerson owns it some beautiful property they can't get fire insurance Right. So yeah. if there's a the winner of this provides them fire protection services, then they can get insurance on top of that. Yeah, interesting. Okay, um, you shifting gears a little bit here. Um, well, let's talk about this episode you did. You did this, and you have a great podcast called Moonshots and Mindsets. Thank you. Recently had a guest on. I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Salim Ismail. Yeah, Salim was the uh, first executive director of Singularity University, and he runs an organization called uh, 
open EXO exponential organizations. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, he, you guys talked about a lot of fascinating topics. One of them was AI governed nation states. Yeah. And he had this quote, uh, I think the I think of the constitution as the software that runs the country. You have to upgrade your software. Times and values change. The challenge that we have with democracy is that the metabolism of decision-making and change in a democracy is too slow for the change of tech. And it's an interesting angle, actually. Um, I've, I've taken issue with constitutional documents and that for that very reason, and that you know, we write these principles down on paper, we organize ourselves around them, but then the very quickly that technology changes and situations change, and we have a hard time sort of amending the original document. And when we do amend the original document, sometimes it's to the detriment of society. So do you think we get to a world of society um, that's maybe built on top of software rather than these you know what what is the constitution a scroll today i guess written in feather uh -huh. ink <laughs> yeah um so a couple of points here one you know we don't live in an actual democracy we live in a representative democracy because yeah. Yeah. because back in 1776 there was no way people weren't educated especially educated and you couldn't communicate you couldn't run a national election in anything under you know like six months of, of pony express uh -huh. And so we needed to elect people who were learned and represented us. But today, of course, you know, we could ask Google to run a perfect democracy, you know, uh -huh. and, and, and have uh, one person, one vote instantly. Uh, my favorite solution for is like, you know, I don't know enough about Bitcoin issues. So I'm going to assign my vote on any Bitcoin issues to Robert. Uh -huh. Right. And I'm going to assign my vote on any uh, female related issues to Esther. Right. Mm -hmm. In other words, you can assign your vote to people whose opinion you trust and so forth. But and then people assign their vote on space to me. And every time mm -hmm. a space issue comes up, I represent 300 people who want me to think about that. And I can vote intelligently on that issue, which I'm knowledgeable about. So there is ways to reinvent uh, democracy and have humans still in the loop and have them relevantly in the loop in that regard. Mm. Um, you know, the the challenge also is it's kind of hard to start a country these days. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> you know, you either have to go and take over one, uh, uh, which is uh, challenging, or you have to revolt and overthrow a government, uh -huh. kind of challenging. You can try and seastead and build a new island in the open ocean, kind of challenging um the other options which will happen is there will be virtual countries uh -huh. um and uh you know where i'm a citizen in a virtual world and a u.s citizen both and the virtual world adopts a set of, of laws and guidelines and so forth and when i'm playing my character in that virtual world i have to abide by those things and then of course there's going to be the new nation states we start in space on on various planets and so forth now the point about ai ai so um you know we've seen the experiments on capitalism i'm sorry capitalism communism and socialism and the problem with communism um and socialism was the idea that the government could know what's best for the people uh-huh 
Um, and of course, we saw in in Russia, you know, it never worked. The, the state-owned industries didn't do a good job. And only in a perfect capitalist market where you have supply and demand match up, it works amazingly well. Hmm. But what happens if you have an AI that's able to actually do the matchup of supply and demand a lot more effectively and efficiently, hmm. right? And to minimize costs or to maximize happiness, whatever the case might be. So countries that are... Uh, I don't want to, I want to say this, uh, uh, dictatorships or, uh, you know, basically AI friendly like China mm -hmm. um, can begin to utilize AI to do a lot more effective governing uh, in some ways. Now, human rights issues abound. Mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. I won't go into that. But the other thing is we're heading towards a, a period of what I call technological socialism. So I'm a capitalist libertarian, if I had to label myself, right? Mm -hmm. um, libertarian nature and capitalism is my uh, my art form. I love starting companies. Mm -hmm. um, but technological socialism is when uh, it's not the state taking care of you, but it's technology, right? Your AI is educating your kids. It is your physician. Your robots are cleaning up and serving you food. Um, you know, your autonomous electric vehicles are flying you or driving you places. And it's, and this is where we're ultimately going, where the cost of doing almost anything technologically is just cheaper and more efficient from a time standpoint. Um, and, you know, the poorest people on the planet are being driven around in electric autonomous cars because they're cheaper than a bus. They're being chauffeured around, right? Mm. Wow. What interesting world to think about. And I, yeah, it really makes you wonder, because in many ways, digital technology is sort of an enhancement for the free market, right? We can have global price discovery now and real-time yeah. markets and things like this. But the other side of that is, I guess, the technological state angle or socialism angle where there's also, there's more censorship more control, more visibility, things like that. Um, so that will be interesting to watch play out. Um, okay. I want to ask you one last thing. So, Please. and I think you are referring to the quote Steve Jobs made here. Um, but you're, and this was in the, I think this might be on the intro video on your Twitter page where you conclude with making a dent in the universe. Yeah. And, and that's a, I don't it is, know the, the exact quote, maybe you do, but I do reflect on it a lot. Like when I get out of bed in the morning, what am I doing today? What is the yeah. dent I'm trying to make? So what I would like to ask you, Peter, what is the dent in the universe that you intend on making? <laughs> so the terminology I use in my uh, Abundance 360 community and in my blogs is having a massive transformative purpose, right? What is What is your purpose on this planet? Uh, what is it that wakes you up in the in the morning and keeps you going through the day? What do you want to deliver as the most impactful thing you can do for this planet? How do you leave the planet better? And so I've had different phases of my life where I've had different MTPs. My earliest one was opening up the space frontier commercially for humanity, right? And that was 
by company Zero-G that flies parabolic flights and flew Stephen Hawking, another company called Space Adventures that's taken people up on the Russian Soyuz to the space station privately, the XPRIZE Foundation, and a multitude of you know, international space universities. So that was really my space focus. My next dent in the universe was how do I incentivize people to solve the world's biggest problems? This was the XPRIZE. This was Singularity University. This was a realization like, hey, everybody, look, the world's biggest problems are the world's biggest business opportunities. Stop building another photo sharing app. Go and solve these bigger problems. You can make a dent in these areas and uplift humanity and the world becomes better and you could become wealthy and impact the planet at scale. And so it's trying to it's trying to get people excited about uh, about solving the grand challenges and 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 letting them understand that they now have the tools to do this that nation states or large corporations didn't have 20 or 30 years ago. Right? It's like an individual today with access to everything on the cloud and all of you know AI as a service type capabilities and 3D printing and all you know, you can do things that that governments couldn't do. Um, and so what do you want to do? What do you want to focus it? So for me, it was like uh, getting people to think at that scale. Where I'm focused right now is, um, in, is, is two areas. One is, I, may, I had a realization, Robert, that if you ask the question of, for the greatest leaders on the planet, whoever you are, Mahatma Gandhi, uh, uh, you know, uh, Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, whatever you think of the greatest uh, leaders, and you ask yourself the question, um, what was more important to those people? Was it their money, their network, their technology, or their mindset? You know, I would posit that their mindset is the most important thing they had. If you took away everything else but kept their mindset, uh, they would regain to some degree their success, maybe the same, maybe more, maybe less, whatever. But the mind, your mindset is everything. And if that's the truth, if that is is the case, and this is what I teach at, at Abundance 360, um, is then what mindset do you have? Where did you get it? What mindset do you want? So that's you know my podcast, Moonshots and Mindsets, talks about that. One of my next books is of that same name. And my mission is to get people to realize that our brains are neural nets, right? Your brain is a neural net. It, it physically is. I mean, we, we've modeled the neural nets that are driving Google and uh, in, uh, uh, stability AI and stable diffusion and all these on the types of learning our, our brain does with layered connections of neurons. And, and so... We train neural nets by showing them example after example after example after example. Like, you know, if you want to train a neural net to see cats, you just show it a thousand cats and it will figure out what a cat looks like. So what are we training our brains for? You know, those uh, who are watching CNN, which I call the Crisis News Network, you know, are training your brains for a very dystopian world. You know, you're seeing a murder every five minutes in your living room over and over again. Is that really what you want? Um and so uh, the, the dent I'm looking to make uh, are twofold. One is helping people realize the importance of their mindsets and giving them the tools to create the key mindsets that 
I believe are important, a purpose-driven mindset, an abundance mindset, seeing the world, seeing the ability to take scarcity into abundance over and over again. And that's the mission of an entrepreneur to create abundance, an exponential mindset to understand where these converging exponential technologies are going and how to utilize them to implement your purpose-driven mindset, a moonshot mindset, which is going 10 times bigger in a business where everyone else is trying to for 10%, and then a longevity mindset. Um, that we are entering a period of time where we're going to begin to extend the healthy human lifespan. And so the second dent in the universe I'm very focused on and enamored with right now is longevity, is health span extension. So number my last four companies are all in this space, uh, a company called Fountain Life that is the top diagnostic and therapeutic company company. Uh, vaccinity, cellularity. Uh, my next, I just wrote a book with Tony Robbins called Life Force on the subject. So it's, I think we have the ability to extend the healthy human lifespan uh, by decades. Uh, you know, I want to make hundred years old when you're 60, where you've got the aesthetics, the cognition, the mobility, and you feel great. Um, so those are the dents I'm focused on. Well, I will be rooting for you on making those <laughs> <Thank> dents. <laughs> Peter, this has been a very enjoyable conversation. It was it was great meeting you in LA and I'm I'm sure I'll see you at an event again soon. Um could you please let my audience know where I can find out more about you or your work? Sure. Um if you go to diamandis.com slash backslash blog, you can sign up for my blog. I put out two a week right now. I'm on Metatrends. Uh, my next sequence of blogs will be on extending the healthy lifespan and and, and longevity practices. So diamandis.com backslash uh, blog. Um, and then uh, Moonshots and Mindsets is the podcast. I'm on Twitter, I'm at Peter Diamandis. Yeah. Wonderful. Go. Thank you so much. Uh, it is D-I-A-M-A-N-D-I-S for the audio yes. listeners, in case you don't know. Peter, thank you again. Pleasure, Robert. Be well.